was reminded when Brother Tony began this service with that song, I Am Free, there was, there was a man who had been convicted of a crime. He had spent many years in prison. On the day of his release, he was brought to the city and he was dropped off. And as he got off the bus, he ran through the streets. And all he could do was scream, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. And nobody seemed to pay him attention, but he was intent on proclaiming his freedom. And finally, as he was running through the streets, I'm free, I'm free. A little boy tugged on him. He said, I'm four. I don't know if you're free or if you're four, but I'm glad to be here tonight. Amen. I appreciate your pastor allowing me the privilege of being here to share the word. I appreciate you being here on this Sunday evening to just hear what God has put in my spirit. I, sometimes, you know, you, you preach sermons and sometimes you preach messages. Sometimes you do something else. But I, I really believe that the Lord dropped this in my spirit a few days ago. As I was in the midst of my devotional reading, I came across a, a passage of scripture that I've seen before but never seen it in the light that I did on that morning when I read it. And if you have your Bible, I want to direct your attention to the 18th chapter of the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 18. I do appreciate your pastor for making us feel welcome. I, I was thinking on the way up here, since I left the pastorate, I've probably preached more in this pulpit than any other pulpit in the state. And so, uh, Pastor, I thank you for your confidence and, and thank you for allowing us. Uh, our oldest daughter, Ashley, and her husband, Jonathan, attended here. Matter of fact, uh, somewhere standing about right here, I, I performed their wedding ceremony a little over seven years ago. I believe they celebrated seven years this past Monday. And uh, every time I see Gene Turpin, he asks me about Ashley and Jonathan and, and the babies. So I asked Jeremy if he could get us a couple of pictures. Uh, this is Jonathan and Ashley's youngest. Her name is Reagan. And Reagan was born May the 29th of last year. And uh, she's just started crawling. Wanda and I had the honor more Wanda than me, but we had them for about 36 hours while Jonathan and Ashley were traveling for work. Uh, and she will not stay still. She is all over the place. So that's Reagan. And then Lily, who was born while uh, they were attending here, Lily is going to be three in, uh, in July. And she is the, the most beautiful grandbaby there was ever born next to Reagan. I'll just say it like that. And uh, if you want to debate that, meet me at the altar after church. Amen. Now, we're, we're thankful for what the Lord has done. And uh, we're excited about what the Lord is doing in our lives and our ministry and in the church. Joshua chapter 18, verse number 3. I'm just going to ask you to stand. One verse of scripture that we're going to read this evening. The scripture says this, Then Joshua said to the children of Israel, How long will you neglect to go and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers has given you? How long 
will you neglect? How long? Look at your neighbor and ask them, how long? This this question that the leader of the chosen people of God asks them is extremely important. We're going to talk a little bit about why it's so important. But I believe the same question that Joshua asked of these people some 1,500 years prior to the birth of Christ could be asked of us some 2,000 years after Jesus ascended back to heaven. How long will we neglect to possess the land that God has promised us? Could I just say to you there's more than what we've experienced thus far? There's, this is not all there is. And I'm not just talking about heaven and streets of gold. I'm I'm excited about that. But, But I don't believe that the church has fully stepped into the promise of God. We're going to talk about maybe some of the reasons tonight, but I want to pray, and as we pray, I want you to pray with me. I want you to pray that God would speak to us. I want you to pray that God would allow each one of us to take away something tonight that we need. It doesn't have to be anything that I say. You see, the Lord's able to drop what you need right into your spirit. And so I I just want you to pray, Lord, let me walk away from here with that which I need. And then secondly, let us pray that God would stir our spirits through the word tonight. Would you pray that with me? Father, in the name of Jesus, I bless you. I thank you tonight because you are here right now. God, we've, we've experienced you tonight. And Lord, as we look to your word, we just ask that your glory, that your grace and your goodness would permeate this room. God, speak to me tonight. I don't want to be any different than anybody that's here in this room. God, I want you to speak to me. And Lord, speak to my brothers and my sisters. Let us each carry away from this service a personal encouragement that comes from you. And God, I pray that you'd stir our spirits. Stir the church, God. Help us to put aside a lackadaisical attitude and help us to go and possess the promise of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated tonight. Thank you, Brother Tony. I always enjoy being in service here because the music is always spot on. Thank you, Pastor. Joshua has assumed the title of leader of the nation of Israel. Just to bring you up to speed and so we're all on the same page, you'll remember that God called Abram. And from Abram, there was a promise. And the promise was, get up from this land and go to a land that I am giving to you. A land that is flowing with milk and with honey. A land that will be your possession. And so Abram sojourned from Ur of the Chaldees and he came to the 
land of promise, holding on to God's word to him that his seed were going to be numerous and that his descendants were going to be a great nation and from his descendants, God was going to bless the entire earth. Abram, who became Abraham, and Sarah waited for the fulfillment of the promise and during Abraham's lifetime, he didn't see the massive nation that God promised to him. But in subsequent generations, through Isaac, through Jacob, through his descendants, that we know that went down to Egypt as a result of a famine that came against the land. And for 430 years, they lived in Egypt. But God raised up a man by the name of Moses. Moses was used to lead the people of God out of Egyptian captivity. They crossed the Red Sea. They saw their captors overwhelmed in the waters of the Red Sea. And they were very quickly on the verge of re-entering the land of promise. But they exercised doubt instead of faith. Because 10 spies of 12 who went into the promised land, 10 spies came back and said, it is truly a great land, but we are not able. There are giants there that are bigger than us. We can't take the land. But there were two men by the name of Caleb and Joshua. And Caleb and Joshua said, we are well able to take this land because God is with us. Let us go at once. And take this land. But the people sided with the majority report. Could I just tell you that the majority isn't always right? Caleb and Joshua were the only two of that generation who were granted the fulfillment of the promise to be able to enter. The people of Israel were sentenced by God to wander through the wilderness while that generation died. Moses even did not enter the promised land. You'll remember God took him to the mountain and, and there as he looked across and saw the promise his life ended and God buried his servant there. But you see, after they had crossed the Red Sea and they're celebrating there in a magnificent worship service, they were so excited, but yet they failed at possessing the land. And then as Joshua comes to this role of leadership, there is again a mighty move of God that takes them from the western side of the Jordan River. They cross that river as the waters are held back very similar to what happened at the Red Sea and the children of Israel crossed on dry land and they began the conquest of the land that God gave them. But you'll remember they marched around the walls of Jericho, the walls of Jericho fall, the city of Ai falls. And if you read the narrative of the early books and the early chapters of the book of Joshua, king after king, they, they even aligned themselves together thinking there would be power in numbers, but God continued to give victory to his people. Two and a half tribes approached Joshua before they crossed the Jordan River and they said, 
Let our inheritance be over here. We'll take this land. This, this isn't fully the land of promise, but we're pretty satisfied here. So if you'll let us stay here, we'll stay here. And, and God gave them their request, but it was dependent upon them sending men to fight. And so the, the men who were of age of those tribes went and with the other nine and a half tribes of Israel crossed the Red Sea. They began this conquest and they're marching forward and victory is theirs. And yes, there, there's some, some little snags along the way, but God is faithful. Can you say amen? Even in the midst of, of some folks doing things that God told them not to do. And it's not my purpose to go into all of that, but, but you'll remember they, they weren't willing to, to fully destroy all of, the, all of the idols and all of the riches of the city. And they tried to, to sneak them out, but God knows what's going on. And he brings his judgment, but the people of Israel continue to move forward. And they're, they're living in victory, but they're content. If you read the first two verses of Joshua 18, what we are told is that they have only conquered enough land for five tribes. And how many tribes of Israel were there? Thank you. The youngest man in the building knew the number. It was 12. Now remember, two and a half tribes have already taken their inheritance on the west side of Jordan. They've crossed Jordan. They've seen all of these mighty miracles, but yet they've only conquered enough land for two and a half more tribes. But they become very comfortable. And Joshua speaks up to them and says, how long are you going to neglect to move in and possess the land that the Lord your God has promised you? Another translation of Joshua's question says it this way. How long are you going to wait before you go in and take the land that the Lord God of your ancestors has given you? Eugene Peterson says it this way in the message paraphrase. How long are you going to sit around on your hands putting off taking possession of the land that God, the God of your ancestors, has given you? I, I believe that that question must have burned into the hearts of the Israelites, but I believe that question could also find its way into our spirits in the 21st century, that we could be asked the same thing. How long are we, the powerful, Holy Ghost-filled church of Jesus Christ, how long are we going to sit on our hands and just sit there comfortable waiting for the Lord to come when He says, I've got so much more for you right here. I've heard church leaders talk about a lackadaisical attitude that seems to have permeated the body of Christ. Too many people today see church as entertainment rather than a place to serve. Too many folks today think, if I'll get to church, the pastor will do what he needs to do and I'll be blessed. I'm afraid it's something that we are doing in, in our day and time where we are seeking the blessing more than we're seeking the blessor. 
How long are we going to wait? How long are we going to be content to stay here when God has said, wherever you go, remember the promise that was given to them, wherever your feet go, whatever land your feet touch on, I'm going to give it to you. But they became content. And, and I think there were some reasons that we could parlay into our day and in our time that, that would cause us I'm not preaching at you tonight. I'm preaching to me and I'm preaching to you as well. But I believe there are some things that we have to assess in our life to make sure that we're not just sitting idly by waiting on God to come again. I'm, I'm eager. I'm, I'm ready. All the junk that I've heard this week about bathrooms makes me anxious to go home. It's, it's really, it's pretty easy, men and women. That, that's, it, it's, it's simple. I'm ready to go. But until the day the Lord calls us home, there's more land to possess. Until the day the Lord calls us home, there's still work to be done, and I'm not willing to sit on my hands and say, well, I'll just watch and wait. No, I need to be involved and you need to be involved. But there are some things that I believe will, will cause us, if we're not careful, to just have this attitude of contentment. And the first one that I believe takes place is what I would term a love of accommodation. We've grown so comfortable with church the way it is. Well, if we show up at 11... And the pastor preaches good and we're out by 12, 15, we're, we're in good shape. We're, we're comfortable. We come to an air-conditioned or heated building. We sit on a nice padded pew. We listen to quality music. We, we sense the, the, the preparation that other folks have put in. But we want to be comfortable. And that love of accommodation will cause us to think that we've arrived. That love of accommodation will cause us to think that we are okay where we are when there's so much more that is yet to be done and so much more land that is yet to be conquered. But if we're not careful, we'll just sit down and say, I'm pretty comfortable right here. About six weeks ago, I spent a week down in Nicaragua, in the mountains of northern Nicaragua, in a little community called Somoto and some of the outlying areas. And, and I was with a, a missionary there by the name of Brandon Johnson. And Brandon and I were talking, and he was telling me about a community that he's going to on a regular basis. It was an unreached people group. It takes him about four hours to travel from the small village of Somoto into where these folks are. And most of that is on foot. He's walking into this, into this tribe. And as he's there, the, he's telling me about the people who had never heard the name of Jesus before. I'm, I'm not talking about somewhere in the remote regions of Africa. I'm talking about a two and a half hour flight from the United States of America. And these people have never heard the name of Jesus 
And so Brandon and a couple of others have begun to go in and they're teaching and they're preaching and, and folks are, are accepting Jesus Christ. A lady who was over 100 years of age came to know Jesus Christ because somebody went and told her. But what he told me was that now from that group of people, the word of Jesus is spreading out. And so when he goes there and has service, there are folks who will walk for three hours to come to church. My Lord, we don't want to ride in the car 10 minutes. But they'll walk for three hours to come to a church service to hear about Jesus. And it's the same Jesus in the mountains of northern Nicaragua as he is right here on Bob White Boulevard in Pulaski, Virginia on Sunday night, April the 24, 2016. But we're so comfortable that we think, well, we'll just be okay. We got enough Jesus this morning. We got enough Jesus this morning to, to make it through. And, and, and just keep me comfortable, Pastor. Don't preach at my, at, my, at my sins. Don't preach at my shortcomings. Just make me feel good. Can, can I just be real and preach a little bit here this evening? Political incorrectness or political correctness is going to damage the church because we're afraid to call sin, sin. Because we're afraid to stand up and say, we believe for what is right because it's right here in the Word of God. Jesus was, was probably the most politically incorrect person that ever lived. He looked at the religious leaders and said, you hypocrites. You love to pray and, and stand on the street corners. Matthew chapter 6, the first five verses, I believe it is. You love to stand on the street corners and make your prayers where everybody hears. And he said, hypocrites, do that in secret. And over and over again, Jesus alienated the religious leaders. Why? Because the religious leaders were content because they had it good. They've been through 400 plus years of, of almost a, a spiritual famine. Most theologians call it the 400 silent years. There wasn't a lot going on. But in the midst of that, an angel came and appeared and said, Well, you are blessed, Mary. You are chosen. And from you, the Holy Spirit's going to come on you. And you're going to have a son. And his name is going to be Jesus. And this son, who is Jesus Christ the Lord, he's going to free his people from sin. And in the midst of that comfort, Jesus came and rattled the cage and said, hey I'm here I'm the Messiah but yet there were folks who said well I don't know about that we're content with things the way they are the status quo is okay with us this this thing that we're involved in right now it seems to be okay and and that same attitude works its way into the church of the 21st century and I believe if we're not careful our love of accommodation will cause us to say well I'll just do my little bit right here and as long as I'm happy everything will be okay Jesus didn't promise that we would be happy. He promised that we'd be free. Hallelujah. 
He didn't promise us that we could could live a life that was full of happiness. What he told us was that we'd be more than conquerors and that we could step into victory and that each day could be a day of growth and of knowing that he is our leader and our strength and our help. God, help us to get up off of the pew. God, help us to get up off of our uh, rear end, so to speak, and say, let's go forward. There's too much work to do but what we do what we tend to do is look at other folks and say well that's their job that's their job let me remind you that the two and a half tribes who found their inheritance on the west side of the Jordan River they weren't permitted to just put down stakes and stay there they still had to sacrifice so that their brothers in arms could also experience victory. When was the last time, my friend, that you were willing to lock arms with a brother or sister in Christ and say, no, we're not going to stop here. We're going to keep pressing forward. We're going to continue to move because there is yet work to be done, because yet there is yet land to attain. God, help us to shake off this spirit of comfort, this love of accommodation, and say, God, we won't be content because there is still work to do. Jesus said we had to take up a cross and follow him. It's about taking up a towel and putting down the title. It's about taking the lowest seat available and waiting for the master of the feast to come and say, hey, move on up. It's about servanthood. It's about saying I'm not willing to stay here in this situation because I know there's more. Could I tell you tonight that I've been following Christ for a long time, but I've not yet attained the place that I need to be? Could I tell you that I I've seen him do wonderful things. I've been a front row witness to the miracle working power of God, but I know there's more. I'm expecting more. I'd love to see more even in this service tonight. I'd love to see healing. I'd love to see deliverance. I'm not willing to just come and preach a comfortable message and say, now let's go home. But God, shake us up and cause us to put aside that feeling of comfort and say, God, we want more of you. But not only a love of accommodation, I believe we also have a loss of appreciation. Now remember, the the older generation of the Israelites has passed. And the folks who are are now of fighting age, they they were young when they were delivered out of Israel. Some of them maybe not even born yet. But they had this oral tradition of passing along the stories of how God had shown up. And that tradition is preserved for us in some of the Psalms that we read that Moses wrote. And if if you read them, it's, it's like a rehearsal of all the events that took place the plagues that came upon the Egyptians, 
the death angel that passed through and God's people were delivered. It's, it's that, it's that re repetition of all of the goodness of God, how he led them through the Red Sea, how he provided manna from heaven, and how he sent the wind to blow in the, the, the meat from the quail that they were so longing for, and that had been passed on and passed on. But, a loss of appreciation caused them to only hear the story and not experience the power. Some of you have been in this church long enough to remember days and times where it was filled to capacity. The Holy Spirit came in wave after wave and, and there was a mighty move of God that took place. Thank God for it. Rejoice in it. But let's hunger for it today. Let's not lose an appreciation for what God is able to do. I still believe that He can do today what He did in 19 and whatever. I believe God can do a new work today and there can be a greater thing done in this day and time than we've ever seen accomplished before. I hope you're going to understand what I'm about to say. I don't appreciate as much the things that I'm told about as the things I experience firsthand. I'm going somewhere with this. It's one thing for me to hear folks talk about what happened. But it's another thing to stand in the presence of an almighty God <laughs> and be overcome with the Holy Ghost and power. Oh, I thank God that I don't just have to depend upon what somebody has told me. But I've been there. I was there when it happened. Hallelujah. And I have a firsthand account. I don't ever want to lose an appreciation, Brother Gene, for what God has done for me. I don't ever want to lose an appreciation for how he set me free, for how he's done a work in my life. I don't ever want to lose an appreciation for the fact that he has healed my body and given me new life. You see, at age of five, I was an asthmatic having to spend time in the hospital in an oxygen tent as my parents were wondering what's going to happen, but God touched me, hallelujah, and I've never had a moment's problem since. And I say, praise God, but you know what? You don't have to get excited about what God did for me. He can do the same thing. You've got your testimony. You've got a reason, hallelujah. But as those stories were passed on, now, now remember that these folks are seeing miracles. They're watching walls, impenetrable walls fall down. They're watching armies that are massive armies be totally defeated and annihilated. But they lost an appreciation for the God who was able to do things beyond what they could even imagine. We in Pentecost, I believe, should be the most excited Christians there are. Because the Lord is real. Could I tell you it's, it's real? It's real. Praise God, I know it's real. It's the Holy Ghost and fire. And it's real. It's alive. 
I don't want to lose that appreciation. But, but the, the loss of appreciation will cause us to sit idle, will cause us to fall into the same trap that some of these folks did in Joshua chapter 18. But I believe we could also find that same attitude in Luke chapter 17 when there were 10 lepers who came to Jesus. These 10 men who approached Jesus crying out, unclean, unclean. They said, Master, have mercy on us. Jesus saw them and the first words Jesus speaks to them is this. Go show yourself to the priest. He didn't say be healed. He said go show yourself to the priest. The priest was the only one who could declare their purity. The continuation of the verse where Jesus said go and show yourself, the scripture says, and as they went, they were healed. As they went, they were healed, but Notice this, Luke 17, 15, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God, fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. He was a Samaritan. You know what happened. Jesus said, weren't there ten who were cleansed? Where are the other nine? How quickly we can lose an appreciation For what the Lord has done. How quickly we can lose an appreciation for what God has done in our life. But notice this. Jesus, and I'm still working on this one. So if it's doctrinally incorrect, you fix it next Sunday. Jesus looked at the one who came back to him. And he said, arise, go your way. Your faith has made you... What what he said is don't worry about the priest. You've had an encounter with the king of kings. You're healed. I declare that you are free. And so go your way. Your faith has made you whole. Church, tonight we need to come in contact with the one who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we could ask or imagine. And when we come into a contact like that with him, we will have a new appreciation. I don't need to look back on the revival of 19 and whatever and say, God was good then. But I can look at today and say, he's real right now. He's alive. He's done something new in my life. Today, the psalmist said, every day, he loads me down with blessings and benefits. And we can have an appreciation. But instead, what do we do? We choose the same attitude that many of these Israelites did. And we sit idly by while God is saying there's so much more. Won't you get up and move? All they had to do was walk. But they were content. So a love of accommodation. A loss of appreciation. And then thirdly, A lack of anticipation. Quickly go in your Bible to Mark chapter 2. I want to show you something. Mark chapter 2. It's early in Jesus' ministry. He's come on the scene. He's, He's begun his ministry of healing and of working. The King James Version in Mark chapter 2 verse number 1 says, Again, he entered into the city of Capernaum. 
after some days and it was noised that he was in the house. Newer translation says it was heard that he was in the house. When the city of Capernaum heard that Jesus was in the house, they began to flock to that house. As the narrative of Mark 2 unfolds, what we see is that there were so many people who came to that house that the house could not contain them. The house was filled. The yard is filled. There's people all around. Jesus is in the midst, and he's doing his thing, so to speak. He's teaching. He's preaching. He's healing. Mighty works are being done, but four men come bringing a friend who's paralyzed. They had some sort of anticipation because they're lugging this man who can't move himself. And each one of them tied to a corner of this mat or cot or whatever it is that he's laying on and they're bringing him to Jesus. As they cross through the city of Capernaum, can you imagine as, as they began to near the house where all of the activity is taking place and they notice the yard is filled with people. There's folks hanging out of the windows. They can't get really near the house. And it would have been very easy to say, well, maybe he'll come back another day. Maybe Jesus will, will, will come back another day. Sorry, paralyzed friend, we're going to take you back home. It's not your day. But instead, they had an anticipation within them that said, we're not going to stop short. And it's one thing to push your way through the crowd as an individual. It's another thing to push your way through a crowd lugging a paralyzed man on a mat. But these men were hungry. Full of anticipation. God's going to do something. Jesus is in this house. We heard it. It was noise that he's here. We know he's in there. We got to get this man to Jesus. They can't get through the door, so they ascend to the roof. Again, it's not an easy task. But they got their paralyzed friend, who, by the way, paralyzed means he couldn't help them. But they got him on the roof. I'm not talking about shingles and tar paper and plywood. I'm talking about a dirt roof. And they started digging. Now picture in your mind, Jesus is seated somewhere in this house and he's looking at the, the folks who were crammed into this house and, and somebody in about the second row gets hit by a clot of dirt that fell from the ceiling. Now flashback, remember, we're, we're all about comfort today. Somebody gets hit in the head with something, oh my goodness, they're going to sue the church. But it wasn't just a clod of dirt. All of a sudden, there's a five, six foot hole. And through this five or six foot hole, these men who were filled with anticipation lowered their friend. You see, they came prepared I don't know exactly how they did it, but they lowered him, the scripture said. And in my mind, when they lowered him, he was suspended right in front of Jesus. Now you can have your version, but we're talking about mine tonight. 
they lowered him and, and he's just kind of suspended there in front of Jesus. And Jesus grants him his healing. Now, stick with me here for a moment. Other occasions in, in the scriptures, we're, we're told that Jesus healed everybody. He healed them all. But on, on this occasion, this man who was lowered through the ceiling and right into the, into the very presence of Jesus is healed. And, and sure, there was great anticipation that existed among those who were there. But could I tell you, did we come tonight with that same type of anticipation? Did we come to the house of God with an anticipation that said, hey, somebody could get delivered tonight. Somebody could find their salvation tonight. Somebody could find their healing tonight. Or did we come just because, well, it's church night. A lack of anticipation. Well, we'll go. If something happens, we'll be there. But we really don't expect anything to happen. You see, when God is in the house, things will happen. When God is in the house, things will happen. But on this occasion, in Mark chapter 2, this man is healed. And he, he then finds his way out. And he goes rejoicing. Joshua said, how long are you going to sit here idle? In my mind, I can see this man as he's been confined to this mat. And he's now able to walk. Well, he could have been content to just kind of sit on the side of the mat and say, talk to me, Jesus. Let, let me hear more about what's going on. Teach me some of the things that, that but no, he, he didn't stay there. He went out and he began to proclaim what God had done. Church, here's, here's what I know is that if we'll come to the house of God filled with anticipation, we can run out into every street in Pulaski and proclaim God has done something marvelous. God has done something dynamic. God has done something real. Oh, we know that God is in the house. Let it be noise through Pulaski that Jesus is in this house. Let it be noise throughout Pulaski County, throughout Wythe County, throughout Montgomery County. Jesus is in the house at Bob White Boulevard and he's there and things are taking place. God let our anticipation build so that we we can go on and possess the land. Now, as I, as I wrap this up, Tony, come help me for a moment. The people, the people under Joshua's leadership had reached that phase where they said, you know what, we, we've done pretty good. We've got a lot of land. We've, we've beat some, some pretty major armies. But remember, Joshua 18, 2, there were yet seven tribes who had not been given their inheritance. And if you, if you proceed reading the book of Joshua, and it's, it's not easy reading, but what you'll find out is that each one of those seven tribes is ascribed a very specific boundary limit and they went forward and they possessed those lands 
By this time, Caleb is 90 years of age. But he remembers the promise. Wherever you walk, I'm going to give it to you. I don't remember his verbatim words, but it's something like this. It's as if I'm still young because I know wherever I go, it's mine. How long are we going to sit here and claim our two foot by two foot area and say, this is mine when God says, all of this belongs to you. All of this belongs to you. Pastor, I believe this church has a brighter future than what's ever been seen before. We don't have to look back on the days of Yon and say those were the glory days of the church. God is still the God of glory. And if we, his people, will get up and take possession of the land, he'll give it to us. You see, the amazing thing is that God fought the battle. All the Israelites had to do was walk in and take their possession. A love of accommodation, a lack of anticipation or a loss of appreciation, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe there's some other cause. But there's some folks here that need to just get up and say, God, we're not content with this. We want more. And if that's you tonight, very simply, this is my altar call. If that's you tonight, I just want you to stand up and come to this altar. You're not content just to occupy your two foot by two foot square area on that pew. But you know God wants you to move into a greater possession. If that's you, just stand up and come join me right here at this altar. God will help us tonight. If you're willing, if you are not willing to neglect the promise that God has given, but you're willing to say, Lord, I'll do what it takes to move in and possess greater.